I'm Sophie. And I'm Maddie. And welcome to Single Best Scene. A podcast where, oh, can I start it one more time? <laughs> Fuck. Hi, I'm Sophie. And I'm Maddie. And welcome to Single Best Scene. A podcast where we discuss various television shows and give you our opinion on the single best scene from the series. This week's episode, Riverdale. In case you haven't noticed, I'm weird. I'm a weirdo. I don't fit in, and I don't want to fit in. Have you ever seen me without this stupid hat on? That's weird. All right, so that's just a little taste of of Riverdale, Riverdale, our very own Jughead Jones. Man. All right, so so what was your intro to Riverdale? Why did you start watching it? You know, it's not exactly our demographic. I can't remember, honestly, the visuals are pretty good for it. You know, it Mm -hmm. gives you that cozy teen drama vibe. And I watched Vampire Diaries because I was on while we were in high school and it seemed adjacent. Right. And everyone was hot. So we love that. Yep. So that's why I started watching. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? So I have like a very like hot and cold relationship with the WB, formerly now CW, Mm -hmm. um, because my bread and butter is teen shows, mm-hmm. teen love stories, mm-hmm. hot people making out. Yep. I mean, I think famously Amy Sherman Palladino from Gilmore Girls called it the factory of hot boys, where they or the stable right. of hot men, where they just like pull them out of the woodwork. Twenty-six-year-olds playing sixteen-year-olds. A CW show. So I have always been a fan because sometimes you do get like really good shows out of it, and so I just record every pilot season. I make sure to record just the first episode of everyone and watch it. And I will say by the end of the first episode of Riverdale, I was just fully in. Yeah. Like fully 100% bought into the town of Riverdale. So let's talk about the pilot. Yeah. What would you give the pilot out of 10? 10 out of 10. You give it a 10 out of 10. So good. This is, and I rewatched it recently because of this podcast and it is so good. So solid. It introduces everybody. It's not too confusing. It's not something where they're, grappling trying to figure out like who's who no they fucking know what's going right. on right they Riverdale. hit the ground running they hit the ground running and everyone is the everyone's smart the lines are witty the writing was good on it which we'll talk about later the writing falls off the rails as the show goes on yeah it's got but, some moments but i thought it was just really solid we met everyone who we needed to meet we also got some surprises like cheryl who was amazing off the bat i 10 out of 10 would recommend re-watching this pilot if you haven't ever or haven't in a while because i thought it was really good what do you think yeah so you had mentioned that to me a few days ago mm-hmm. as we were prepping for this episode like overachieving and you know yep. basically re-watching riverdale mm-hmm. and so i was like well i should at least you know watch the pilot mm-hmm. so i did rewatch the pilot and i give it like an eight and a half nine out of ten the only th- reason why is because like why it's not a ten out of ten because i agree with everything you said mm-hmm. i mean it gives it's so good right off the yeah. bat um, there's like no jughead in it, which is weird because the show 
show yeah. does really kind of become the Betty and Jughead show unless... I mean, this episode is being going to become this, the Betty and Jughead show. Yeah, like this episode, I don't think... I think Jughead and Archie weren't even friends yet. Like, no, I Because it ends with yeah. them being like, you they know, not two like broken hearts estranged. in this town. Yeah, they weren't like estranged friends, but like it seemed like there was like childhood friends that had mm-hmm, grown apart. Who kind of grown apart, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did that. And then I also just hate the Archie and Grundy storyline. Oh my God. And it... Um, yeah. That was the thing. And then... It was just so bittersweet. It's been so long since I've watched an episode with Fred Andrews, who, um, you know, we lost Luke a few Mm -hmm. years ago, who I just love so much. So it was just so nice to see him just being a good dad. Right. You know, the introduction of all the parents was so good, too, Mm -hmm. because unfortunately for someone who doesn't, who primarily watches teen shows, I don't really typically give a whole lot of, um, I don't really care that much about. I never care about the parents. But like, it's it was my biggest problem with teen it shows. It was so funny when Alice was like, I hope that Jason boy, if he's dead, he suffered. Oh and you're like, that's a child. Like that is a child. Yes. So, um, and also they pay off from the pilot for so long. Like Jason's still on the show. The, the fact <laughs> they managed to Like he was dead in the pilot. Jason's plot line through four seasons is incredible and should be illegal right like he just doesn't um he just doesn't go away no like should he be like completely decomposed i don't know I much did, about. right yeah that didn't make sense i did think though that the well i loved season episode or no season one mm-hmm. i did think the mystery of figuring out what really happened to him was done well Mm -hmm. yeah like and i wasn't even from the pilot i wasn't really expecting it to be a huge mystery where they were gonna because it seemed pretty cut and dry i assumed not necessarily that i believed cheryl about the accident i think there was something else going on but i just didn't realize how complex the actual answer was going to be and i think that's something that riverdale does really well and also is something that i hate about the show like it's like a double-edged sword there are so many red herrings that you like do miss who the killer is or who the Mm -hmm. black hood is or who the gargoyle king is because they like just throw like 97 things at the wall and you're like trying to follow they're like drowning out all the plot lines with other plot lines yeah yeah they're just like (laughs) for no reason yeah just keeps adding ice and it just keeps getting watered down this show while i think probably considered a drama does have some very very funny moments we or consider ourselves to be the funniest people we know. Yeah, personally. What is some of your what are some of your favorite bits or jokes or moments from Riverdale that you want to talk about? So my number one favorite is Archie being shirtless for no reason. Thank you, Thank CW. You. Thank you, Roberto. I'd like to thank the Academy for giving <laughs> yes. us New what Zealand. We asked for, really. Thank yeah, you, New, New Zealand, Zealand, for producing KJ. Yes. Yeah. Yes. KJ Abba. Abba. What a star. You know, God on earth. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is, seems like a nice guy, but really, so you could awkward. bounce a quarter off his abs. Like it's, and so, but the best part about this joke is not, not that he's just hot. Cause like a lot of shows have like hot teens, but I mean, that's a foundation for most teen dramas yeah. actually is hot teens, but he will be shirtless for no reason at all. Right. Or it'll just be like a scene where he's studying lines for the play or answering the door or yeah, like he's just <laughs> living always, his life yeah. shirtless. Yeah. Oiled shirtless for no reason. It'll be a three second clip, but you know, you think, oh, thank you. Well, and I, I think it like really goes, it goes back to the pilot. Everything goes back to the pilot where Kevin Keller says, 
oh my gosh, Archie got hot. Archie got hot. Yes. And we were like, well, Whoa. didn't know he wasn't ever hot, but we appreciate <laughs> the show started you. Yes. Now. And then my second favorite joking moment, I guess, of the show is most of Cheryl's lines. Right. She gets a, pl- she's always the C plot. Like the most steady C plot. Like her entire character is a C plot, which for better or for worse, she's pretty crazy. And right. all of the maple stuff with her family, maybe we forget about it because it's a C plot and it's never the main thing. But but if you think about it, it's a little bit frustrating that Cheryl's always kind of pushed to the sidelines in the back, considering she her family if we're speaking in fictional terms started the show like jason blossom right. and clifford Is blossom and Penelope blossom yeah they move the blossoms are the kind of the big bads of the overall show of riverdale right. so it is a little bit frustrating that we don't get more cheryl screen time no i have thought that forever although i feel like in four she got some more screen time um but she never got more well, no. There's like entire episodes. I'm pretty sure without her in them. Yeah, but well, because she never really directly has anything to do with like the Fab Four. You That's know? I think the problem like, is they. Made it's her, her doing her own shit. Right. They made her such an outsider. Yeah. And like so, quote unquote, mean. Because I don't necessarily even. I mean, Cheryl's mean, but they put her so far outside of the friend group that mm-hmm. it would almost be unrealistic to have her in a conversation with Archie and Jughead. Right. Well, when I rewatched the pilot. Cheryl is introduced as the senior on the cheerleading Right, I did squad. notice that. I was like, mm, well, four years later, here we all are. I think it's because they made Jason and Cheryl twins. And Jason was dating... Polly. Polly, which totally made sense. Oh, it made sense. Right, and then like, they were like, well, Jason's dead. We don't need to really keep them. They could just be your brother. Mm-hmm. So I think they kind of I love this just like casual... Fact. There's never graduating. Just no, nobody's ever going to graduate from the school. Yeah. But um, one of the specific, there is, a, of course, a YouTube compilation of Cheryl's one-liners, which are all great. Her pilot writing is very good. Her, the first scene where we meet Cheryl is like so peak Cheryl. It's so great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she says things like, there are worse things in prison, like this dinner party. <laughs> 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 and her apologizing the second time Jughead is pronounced dead. Uh-huh. She's like, yeah, I, I'm really sorry. I called him a hobo that one time. <laughs> like, like, that's all she's got to say. Yeah, I think there's to a lot. To your point, of, her and Jughead have never had a conversation. No, like, I don't so. think they interact a lot. I nope. will say, so I talk about a little bit later on in this, um, in my show notes, about how, you know, I think they took a few cues from the OC. And Cheryl always kind of reminds me if, like when Cheryl grows up, she will be Julie Cooper, which I know you're not super familiar with the OC, but um, hopefully some of our listeners agree with me that Cheryl's just a young Julie Cooper nickel who apologizes for, you know, the most, like, I'm sorry for that time I slept with your boyfriend and it's like her daughter. And you're like, yeah, you shouldn't sleep with your daughter's boyfriend. Probably. So that's, I just think, good. Yeah. But what about you? So mine is just kind of, I'm going to say Riverdale writers, but um, specifically Veronica, just naming random uh, businesses that Mm -hmm. aren't real. So I have like a few like very popular companies that she's just, Mm -hmm. and again, it's all characters, but mainly Veronica. The Five Seasons, Grindum, Shanks Shaw, um, American Excess, which that's my favorite one. Reporting my American Excess card as stolen. Well played, Veronica. Uh, Bean and Beluga. 
Spiffany's. <laughs> that one was weird. Triple C instead of triple A. Yeah. Uh, Vanity Flare. <laughs> And the Matchlorette. So oh, I just find it to be mind-boggling why certain things can be said and other right. things can't. Like, I don't understand Because, like, she'll say, like, Mont Blanc and, like, other... Like, she yeah, will yeah. name names. Right. It's not consistent. And I just... Every time it makes me laugh, because the first time it happened, I remember thinking, like, oh, I must have just heard it wrong. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I'm going to have everybody over for the Matchlorette. And I was like, oh, no. This is happening. This show is, like, doing it. So um, I just... I, it, like, yeah. It's like a glee every time they say it. I love <laughs> it so much. Um, and then my second one is not really a bitter joke, but it's just such a funny moment. When Alice enters that scene wearing that snake suit, snake skin uh, romper, yes, with the cape. everyone turns and looks at her. She looks fabulous. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And Hal, who you know is her husband and a terrible human being, so bad. gives her a look and she just says, shove it, Hal, and like keeps walking. Yeah. It just kind of, for me, switched... Um, Alice from being like Betty's overbearing mom, who's kind mm-hmm. of a bitch, yep. to a character that like I root for. Like I want Alice to like keep doing her reporting. Like I just really enjoy Alice. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's the first time that I was like, oh, she can kind of be like funny and like not make fun of herself, but she's not as high and mighty as I yeah. thought she was. This is your so. turning point for Alice. That's my turning point for Alice. It's not my turning point for the show, but Got definitely it. my turning point for Alice. Um, so, as a drama, this show also is sad. Like so there are sad. moments that are sad. Yeah. So do you want to go? What, what's your heartbreak scene? What scene kind of got you? Sadness buried in the ridiculousness. Of, yeah. Yeah. The general show. <laughs> um, well, a lot of the show is, I mean, for, like you said, it's a drama. So there's like a lot of sad stuff. Like Cheryl Loki, like committing suicide. Right. Season one finale. Forgot about that. Um, yeah. But also, also in the season one finale, of course, that, but, also, Jughead sort of getting cornered into being a serpent because, of course, in hindsight, you were like, oh, well, that was an inevitable and also didn't really change his life that much. <laughs> right. But you're going to be the serpent king in like three seconds. So got a long way to go, but not actually that far. So, but it was, it was hard to, it was really sad to watch that knowing that it could have actually changed his life a lot. And it felt like a lot of season one was Jughead sort of trying to hide the being fact that homeless. being right, being homeless, having his dad be gone, having all this like personal drama at home. And like, really like clearly he was really smart and right. wanted to succeed at school, but all these other factors were making it really hard for him, but he was on the right quote unquote right path, you know, with not being in the gang, going to school, you know, doing dotting his eyes and crossing his T's, but at the end there was nothing he could do to keep himself from getting sucked in right. to the gang. And so I just thought that it was you'd seen him try and fight it all season and that sort of he ended up joining the gang and for a while it was actually kind of rough. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard for him and Figuring out and how to he got he, like that. he predicted, he did end up getting everyone else in his life sucked in to right. the gang drama, which of course it's Riverdale, so the drama was never, I guess, too too bad. But I mean, people died and there was drug running and stuff. Like it really and it ended up like doubling down on his dad stuff. All of Jug, Jughead's home life stuff was sad, actually, to be honest. Like whenever any well, of it got like his mom being right. away and 
Well, and FP made such a character redemption throughout the yeah. rest of the season when he became sheriff and got sober. They never really addressed yeah. that he wasn't yeah, he, he was an alcoholic in season one and then you know sobered up and right. did become like a very F, or um, yeah FP's like one of the best guys on the show. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Jughead's fear of getting his dad back into the gang life yeah. and kind of knowing that, was that part of it, you're right. That the reason that that was going to be in it kind of made it just even more heartbreaking because he wanted his dad to succeed. Jughead loved his dad. Right. Right, and he was like, well, if I get sucked in, we're both going to get sucked in. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no way to prevent it. Yeah. What about you? So, I have two. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and just for the sake of conversation, I'm not going to talk about season four, episode one, with the passing right. of Luke Perry, because obviously that episode was just so heartbreaking and sad, yeah. and there's the extra layer that he died in real life, but that was, um, you know, just... He was a perfect Fred Andrews and whatever. Mm -hmm. So the first one that I have is when Betty and Jughead broke up in season two, episode eight, House of the Devil. Um, The reason that it kind of just broke my heart is because it's right after um, Betty does her striptease to Mad World and kind of does the the Serpent Queen and then he dumps her. And so it's just so heartbreaking that she... Remind Does me this, why he dumped her? Because he like, After didn't she did want that? her to be in the game. Like he wanted to like keep that separate and he didn't want to um he he's trying to protect her. her. Yes, he was trying to okay. protect her. And there's just something so heartbreaking about him breaking up with her and her like she, and, you know, this is we are Lily fans. Like mm-hmm. Lily is big Lily fans. Betty is our favorite. Like Betty's my favorite. Like there's nothing that she will do on the show, even as ridiculous as it is, that mm-hmm. will make me turn on her. I love her so much. But her just like looking at him and asking how many times they're going to keep pushing each other mm, away was yeah. just so heartbreaking. Okay. Granted, they did only break up for four episodes, so it wasn't a huge thing. But um, so. it was like all the feels. And then when they got back together, it was just so sweet and kind of like put your heart back together a little bit. My second um, scene is the therapy session in season four where all of the kids, you know, had to go in and talk. Um, Betty's relationship with her mom has always been something that has been hot and cold and hearing her kind of go through um, all of the things that she had done that they needed to have since they sent Polly away in season one, you know, talking about how she lied and didn't say where Polly was and then sold her college, gave her college money to the farm and then was actually working undercover for the FBI and she didn't need to be worried about her and, you know, her relationship with Hal, like Alice put Betty in danger in so many ways. And this was kind of the first time that Betty addressed all of that stuff. And Alice kind of broke down and was talking about how, like it was just a very well done scene. And then Cheryl going in there thinking that she like killed her twin in the womb and the doll, which that itself is where, you know, Jake would say, what are you talking about? But, um, she, no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Basically she thinks this doll is haunting her because she thinks she killed it in the womb. And the, for the therapist to have to say, right. it's wouldn't that more, be her sister? Yeah, I she think she had a twin. Well, they I don't know. They she was a twin, that. and the theory was that she was act, there was actually triplets, and because sometimes like one twin eats other twin in the womb. If yeah, the other twin is too weak, so that's what someone Nana Rose. The I think yeah. So they were trying to to make Cheryl think that she was crazy to sell yeah. over. I think the maple, I don't know, that, that plot kind of got a little plot, bl- blurry for me, but the fact that she had to be told by a therapist that the doll was not haunting her, that it was someone in her house, just made me so sad for Cheryl, regardless of how you feel about her, for her to be 17 and really thinking that this is happening. Right. It just shows kind of how mentally she's not there. Yeah, well, she's living on her own, basically. She's emancipated, mm-hmm. and her mom's MIA, and she's in this big, giant house with her, grandma who's 
Very like, senile. Yeah, and she keeps her mom in the attic. She keeps her mom in the attic. And also, for no reason I can tell, theoretically in season four, the twins were living at their house. Right, Dagwood and Juniper. Dumbest names ever. I think it's got to be a comic book thing. I think it must be. Um, so obviously we have a lot of hot and cold feelings mm-hmm. about the show and it goes back and forth. What would you say is the your turning point scene, the moment when you either bought in or kind of rolled your eyes at the show? Okay, way earlier than I thought until we were prepping, I was would have assumed that this would have happened later in season one, but Dark Betty came out season one, episode three. Crazy. Three. We were only three episodes in when Betty suddenly went into like light. Was it BDSM? Was it torture? Was it who knows? A delightful combination. Right, right. And they were teenagers. She was newly friends with Veronica. So like the desperation that I'm just going to trust this girl. Also kind of crazy. Mm hmm. And she was boiling Chuck in that yeah. hot tub. And it was just so dark. Much darker than the normal teen shows. Or, and even just, I mean, like I've mentioned already, Vampire Diaries, you expect it to be kind of dark because it's all mythological kind of. Right, right. Our vampires from the devil, whatever. Anyway, it just lends itself to a more you know, dark and spooky thing. But for Betty, cheerleader, bad ponytail Betty, to have this like alter ego going on in this really dark way was just like, oh, this show is different. Like this right. show is going to show some really, I don't want to say like aggressive stuff, but it's not your stereotypical more twisted stuff, I guess really. Yes, show. right. Yeah. And more than just like sad, happy drama whatever like this is actually kind of twisted so right right. what about you so mine um is later than that it's season two episode one with the introduction of Hiram Lodge oh my god Hiram Lodge was given a world's best dad mug from Bart Bass like he (laughs) is the worst he's the worst from that like so from that point moving forward it wasn't about teens in an unknown time zone or like Whatever, it was now solely about a weird father-daughter relationship, murder, Archie's weird boxing ring, drug lords, rapists, yeah. buying the South Side. I mean, introducing Hiram completely changed the universe and it made it so much bigger. And I, I'm not saying that it made it worse. Like the I show think it made needed, it worse. The show needed to expand outside of yeah, what like, it was. Did we have to do it with a father-daughter relationship? Could we not have done it in another way? Right, Because right. it torpedoed Veronica's entire plotline the rest of the show. Right. And then it's, uh. yeah... I'll never understand why they do. I will never understand why they have adult drama on a teen drama. Well, adult men threatening to kill a teen or framing a teen for murder. Any of that stuff. Why would they be threatened by them? But um, it did. I will say for better or for worse, it expanded the universe so much without Hiram. We wouldn't have, I mean, season two wouldn't be what it was. So, um, well, I with the prison and Archie's shirtless scene. I mean, well, Hiram even could have been, a formidable force without him and Veronica's internal shit. Right. Because that is what drove me crazy is her entire plotline just became about him and it didn't have to be that way. Right. And I wish, I mean, we've talked about this a ton just over the past few years, but I wish Veronica consistently liked or didn't like her dad. Um, I understand that yeah, parent relationships. Like in a single scene. Right. I understand parent relationships are hard and you love them and yada, yada. But, um, 
how quickly she can flip flop back and forth for yes. no other reason that I can see. Yeah. Um, she just randomly will defend him and not. So that is the turning point. That's when the show um, changed for me. And I mean, I stayed with it, but I do hate Hiram. Yeah, Hiram. Well, I didn't realize that Hiram being introduced caused negative problems until like a season later where I was like, oh. Right, right. The ripple effect there, was we're really not, big. Like, we're not introducing him and then having him back down. There was never any backing down of Hiram. Well, He's and, literally like the fifth star. Right. And there's no, um, he doesn't have any allies, right? Like no. sort of Hermione, sort of not, but like FP and Fred and Alice were all kind of like a little right. group. And then there's the evil parent, like the Penelope, Hal friendship thing, I guess you yeah. could say. And Hiram's just like alone fighting all of these battles. And it just seems really unnecessary for this giant, you know, he was in prison, I think, for fraud in the pilot episode mm -hmm. to then go to this small town and try to buy it up. And it just, the yeah. logic of it, it, the logistics of it doesn't always click for me. But, yeah. so, Riverdale's good and bad. Mm -hmm. We have established that. Yep. Um, what is your best or worst B plot? Like, do you have a ship that you don't really love or a storyline that you just kind of, you know, wanted to be done or, or what? What do you well, have? my favorite ship was Ronica and Reggie. I mm -hmm. don't think they ever got enough time. I, Ronica and Archie are always fine, but I never really bought it. I don't know. I think Betty and Jughead, like, big Bughead fan, 100% behind them, but I don't know if I ever really bought Veronica and Archie's whole thing because their entire relationship mainly seems to be just them having sex a lot. Right. Which is fine, but as far as like long term, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't my know. issue with them is they have great physical chemistry, mm -hmm. but the dialogue to get to those moments are always so cringy. When she's so like, come on, Archikins, like, I just can't, yeah. I don't buy into their conversations. Right, and it felt like even though Reggie literally was working for her, they somehow were just like clicked in better, right. which granted, the actors were dating at the time when their characters were dating on the show, as far right. as I can tell. I mean, I don't know how closely like the their timeline. timelines matched up, but it was at least in the same year when they were together and they're both so hot. <laughs> and yeah. just seemed, I followed them both on social and they both seemed just like really cute. So outside of the show, I was a big fan of them, but... Um, even within the show and how it worked. And it, I thought it was nice to get more, to give Reggie more of a plot line. After she broke up with him, he vanished from the plot right. and was just like literally an extra in the show. Basically, right, right. In season four. So I definitely miss. I think you should probably do your worst B plots because I have a lot and you have a more condensed list. Right. So I only have two. I have one best and one worst. So I'll start with my worst. Um, and it's, one that could pay off. So I'm saying this with the condition that season four just wrapped. We have not watched season five yet. Right. Um, Charles and Chick. Oh what is going on? So I think I'm okay with Betty having like a secret brother. But then I like, I like FP and Alice together. I think it's very, whatever. That does not bother me. But are they together? Was Charles in on it when Chick was pretending to be him? Did did I miss an episode? Was the entire plan um, to get the shady man killed? Like, what is going on? And he popped up when we got reintroduced to the real Charles. Mm -hmm. 
and I was like, okay, this is good. And then he goes to chick and he like calls him babe and they like put their hand up on the screen right, and you're like, jail. oh my gosh, they're a couple. Right. Which I'm like, was they, were they dating when chick was the uh, gargoyle king? Cause you know, chick was the gargoyle king. Right. So presumably. I, so my whole thing is I just am very confused. Um, they could do a payoff. I will say I have at the bottom of I the- I hope so. At the end of the episode, I'll go into some news, and it does seem like they're going to be giving us a pretty big time jump between season four and season five. So I don't know if we'll ever find out about Charles and Did Chick. they ever graduate? Did these kids graduate? So the due to coronavirus, shut the filming right. shut down early. So we'll get, I think, I'm assuming prom and graduation when we okay. come back. So that's my worst, and it's a worst question mark, because I think... Well, I just and don't understand why we didn't get more details. We, what was the point? We didn't get more details, but in a weird way, compared to other... B and C plots on this show where like they really just gave us a few breadcrumbs. Right, right. Which I thought was going to be a huge payout at the finale or something. Or anywhere else. Like we we never, there was no, the two of them, hands against glass in jail, that was like at the beginning of this season. Never again. Oh, it was like season four, episode six. Right. I looked up, no, season four, episode four was the last time we saw Chick because I checked IMDb. So like if you were really going to try and keep that like sleeper plot going you would another sprinkle or at like at least a few episodes later have charles like be on the phone more like i just sure. don't yeah oh, so yeah, that's really one that's a question mark for me right like mm-hmm. i it, there definitely have been weaker yeah. plots but that's not and then the best and i feel kind of silly saying this was just um because it was a huge plot but i guess it was the b plot of the season was just the black hood i mean i thought the execution on that was wonderful yeah that was really good um so and having it be a year long like a full season mm-hmm. i was really hesitant about because yeah. the first season was 13 episodes and i will go to my grave saying tv shows should only be 13 episodes i don't need seven episodes of filler no. um because every episode can be stronger when there's less of them i would rather there be five 13 episode seasons than two or three 24 episode seasons because mm-hmm. they try and cram so much stupid filler drama, like you said. Right. So I just thought that was really interesting. And it also gave the Cooper family more to do. Like it gave Alice more to do. It gave Betty, it kind of solidified Betty or Lily just as such a phenomenal actor, the mm-hmm. things that she had to do to respond to the Black Hood. Yeah. So those are my two best and worst. I didn't do a best V plot, and instead I listed 16 worst So you did like a BuzzFeed style listicle. I did a BuzzFeed style listicle. This is in no specific order. We're just going to power through them. Here we go. Number 16, Betty obsessing over the serial killer gene still. Like, can't let it go. Even end of season four, she still is obsessing over this and how she thinks it's ruining her life, which, you know... What comes first? It's now like a cycle of her thinking right. she's... Well, it's like a self-fulfilling... It's like that's yes. a raven, yes, right? Exactly. You see the vision and then you make right. the vision exactly. come true. And then number 15, the real half-brother, Charles, who we still don't actually know any backstory about. He's kind of been in as this pseudo-brother figure, I guess, kind of helping Betty guide her a little bit. But we've also seen him wiretapping her phone and the whole thing with Chick at the jail, like you mentioned, just a lot of question marks with him, but they haven't given us anything substantial about him and who he is. Chick, just in general, is number 14. Yeah. A, a B-plot I didn't need. Right, he was a lot. And the weird, like, video cam, sex cam stuff, like, I just didn't need anything. With Chick? <sighs> or the, oh, because yeah, 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 he was yeah. like a, vid- a cam, yeah, I don't like know Like a cam called. boy or whatever. Cam- I, don't think I, pff, I don't know. Which, I hope you talk about the tickle videos. 
That is literally coming up. So perfect. Because what the actual fuck is <laughs> 13 that? on our list of worst B plots, everything about Hiram. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't have co-signed. 12. The tickle videos. Did they, okay, so I know they just. Which, if you haven't watched season four, this is in season four. Yeah, so I know they torpedoed Kevin's storyline with the farm. I think yep. they made him commit too much. Way too much. And then we didn't. He didn't have enough story before. So like, I don't like Kevin anymore just because he was so annoying in the farm and like didn't believe Betty and oh, he was just so annoying. Mm-hmm. But then to have his only plot in season four be these weird tickle videos, I was just like, yes. do you hate him? Like, clearly, they're supposed to be, like, I guess, in replacement for, like, sex. All right, hold on. What the fuck do you talk about? Okay, okay, okay. Let's back up for a second. Okay, so, basically... How are you going to... How did they... Someone, like, approached Kevin, I think. Like, out of the blue? Yeah, like, on Grindem. Oh, that's right. He was going to go on a date with him. Okay, so... Yeah, I think so. which is Riverdale's grinder. Wow, they got real creative. Kevin, I know. They're not very creative with <laughs> any of the fake names. So, I almost think they're too creative with the fake names. Like, just call it Grinder. I know. I and, don't like, know. move on. I don't know. So, Charles, or Charles. Kevin. Kevin goes on a date with uh, somebody he matched with on Grindem. And the guy is like, hey, actually, I think you would be great for these videos that I'm making uh-huh, and but- you don't have to do anything weird. Like you just tickle, like let some guy tickle you. <laughs> yeah. That's not weird. You're it's, right. That's yep, not, not weird, weird at all. all. No, no, it's not totally weird, especially for a high school senior. Yeah. Super high school normal. senior, high school Super senior, normal. but he gets paid like tons of money and then he took yeah. over the tickle ring. And right. Then- so he, <laughs> yeah. so, okay. No, no, no. I told okay. you, gotta watch He's the show. He's getting paid like three or four, five, three or five grand an ep, uh, Video. A filming, right? And it's like him and another dude, and but like sometimes it's like him and a guy and a girl, whatever. And and it's just them tickling. I guess even though that's what we're told. Like we don't see. I yeah, but it's it's it is supposed to be just tickling. Like it's not. They're not trying to mask it as anything else within the show. Is it like a sexual thing? Like are they doing this Mm, naked? Is it like no? Not that I know of. Not that I know of, but it's clearly sexual. Right, okay. right. Like obviously, okay, like it's yeah. so fun. Like outside the show, we know. Like the audience is like, "Oh, that's what this is." But within the show, like it's not like a sex abuse thing or like exploitation. Right. It's theoretically it's because it is just actually a bad B plot. It's a just a terrible B plot, and then yeah, and then towards like a couple episodes in into this like drama, he brings a couple other teens from teens his high school in because it's like good money and this seniors. is crazy because the first thing that comes to my mind and i just started watching this is the epstein documentary oh, right, on yeah. netflix so this is like making <laughs> me think of that instantly so it wasn't i mean it's not not that i'm not like saying yeah. that there's some creepy old dude doing some really twisted shit right but like no, it's plot lines are pretty similar. Pretty there. similar, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's just really bizarre, and that's insane. That's that is a shitty B plot. It's a shitty B plot. Well, and it didn't really wrap up because they tried to take over it, and then the season got cut short. Well, and then they got like threatened. Yeah, and they I don't know. Really, the whole whatever. thing, the whole thing was a mess. Um, and okay. then he did like a variety show where he kissed Archie. So, <laughs> yeah, that episode was a mess. So, number eleven, several deaths from griffins and gargoyles, which. I, it just sort of was like loose, like random deaths. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like it was never an important character. It was always just like, oh, we're going to bring this random character in yeah. to kill them off to make this more dramatic. Although 
on, upon my rewatching, which I wrote down in my notes, which I didn't bring, so joke's on me. But there is a blonde kid. Yes, Benjamin. Ben. 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 Okay, so I here I was thinking, like I just said, they bring random characters in for the episode, kill them, and then like Midge. I'm very confident it was in no other episodes other than the episode where she got murdered in, in the Carrie episode. She was in a few, but yeah, she wasn't important. <laughs> she was not important, whatever. But this is the only coot, or I don't know if I'm going to say, not going to say it's the only kudos I'm going to give the writers. However, someone was thinking because Ben is the boy who commits suicide out the hospital window after Jughead found him and Dilton Doily. Doily, And they're like sacrificed to the gargoyle king in the woods. So he finds Ben, he brings him back to the hospital. He's recovering his mom. They talk to the mom, whatever. And then Betty and Jughead go back to visit him and he's sitting on the window ledge right? and says, you know, we'll ascend, we'll all ascend, you know, we'll all be in a better place. And then just like tips himself out the window and commits suicide. So when that happened, I was like, well, all right, that's very dramatic, but this is some random, random kid. No, he has been in the show from like episode, like three or four. Right. Because... He, and actually the mom gives us a little like wink nod because she says, well, he's just been having such a hard time since his piano teacher got murdered. Oh, so he was, he was one of Miss Grundy's students and there's a shot of him leaving Mrs. When Hal goes as the black hood to kill Mrs. Grundy. Right. He's, she is, you know, sitting there with a, with Ben playing the piano and then she's like, okay, like, bye. And they kiss and he leaves. And then she goes back in her apartment and gets murdered. Mm-hmm. And he's in another thing, which I remembered and I wrote it down. I can't remember now. But he's been like sprinkled in right, right. the show um, in a more complex way than I realized. So good. Well, to I think the that's what's that. so frustrating about the show as a whole is that the plot points are so good. They're just buried in so much. Right. You can't. It's so hard to even just follow it because they twist and turn too much. No, absolutely. Then number 10, the sisters of quiet mercy testing Hiram's fizzle rocks on their patients like their drugs and also encouraging them to play G and G. I, the sisters of quiet mercy, I think is the darkest part of the whole show. Actually. Yeah. Like for sure. Every time they had anything to do with anything, I'm like, whoa, like three steps too far. Um, whatever was going on with them, but them taking on the drug running, drug running, testing just seemed weird. Well, especially since all of those people in there are mentally unstable to begin with. Like that's why they end up in the Why would you give them a drug, like a recreational drug? I didn't really get that. Then speaking of Sister Quiet Mercy, the conversion therapy, which was a lot. Right. And not that it's dated. I don't know. It, that whole B, and it wasn't even treated as an A plot. Like it was a B plot. Right. We had to rescue Cheryl eventually, but they never really addressed it again either. Well, I guess they mentioned it every once in a while, but I don't know. I was just like, that was, it, it just added to the cloud of drama, which we didn't need. We just didn't need it. You right, know what I mean? Right, yeah. Yeah. Then everything about the farm. Especially harvesting organs, which was so ridiculous and so unnecessary. Like we didn't need to add that level in. Like it was a crazy cult 
That's it. We didn't right. need to my, <laughs> triple down on harvesting the organs of these teens. My favorite random B-plot of the farm was Evelyn actually being Edgar's wife right. and being 26 and not his daughter, but yes. like going back to high school to recruit. The like fo- yes, the emphasis the daughter. on teens in these adult schemes is so, so, ridiculous. so ridiculous. But that just made me laugh because I was like, of course Evelyn's. Right. Of course she's like, actually almost twist. 30. Right? Also just like they brought Chad Michael Murray back. So uh, I, and when at first great. I was like, Chad, yeah. <laughs> like, is Lucas? that you? But um, by the time we got to the end of that farm plot, I was ready to see him go. Yeah. I you're ready for Alice to shoot him while he was really shooting shoot off into a space. rocket. Yeah. So then Hiram putting a hit on his daughter's 16 year old boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Didn't need that. Archie being a vigilante in not one, but two entirely separate seasons. Why? It was as yeah. if it was the second time it happened in season four. It was as if he had not remembered that he had done it before. Right. Which I thought was a weird thing to just not address because as the viewers were already in fucking season four, we were there. When right. He did the first this, time. The you first did it. time. Um, also, every time it always ends poorly. So, yeah. I just, think it's hard to be a 17 year old vigilante. Yeah. Speaking of Archie, Archie's gym, Archie's red circle. <laughs> That leads us to number three. <laughs> the mass seizures of the Vixens. Although points for optics look shocking, worked great in the promos. Right. But unnecessary for sure. Didn't really advance the plot at all. And they kind of answered why that was happening, but it was sort of like... It was like fizzle rocks in the water, right? Right. It was like contaminated water. Right. But it was just sort of slipped in for the very dramatic impact that that moment had. It actually did not have any dramatic implications or reasoning behind it. Right. Then number two, Betty and Jug sharing a half-brother while their parents are also dating and everyone is living in the Cooper's house under one roof as if it's no big deal. Yeah. They don't address it. Right. I thought it was so weird when like Jughead's mom bought the Cooper house. Yes. With drug money. And then left. Right. And then they left the house to FP or like, did she sell it back? I don't know. I think she left it to him. Cause then Betty was living there. Like it was in the, Betty was living there the whole time. Jughead wasn't like, yeah, yeah, that was random. I'm not mad about it because, again, I love FP and Alice. I mean, I love FP and Alice, but they, they don't really address it all. Oh, they just start making out one episode, and I'm like, oh, I guess they yeah. are dating again. And, the, and, I mean, they kind of, there'll be, like, little remarks about the the fact that they share a half-brother, but, like, not, they don't, the whole family right. doesn't really talk about it Another parallel to Gossip Girl. Yes. Even though that, like, torpedoed everyone's relationship. And then number one... Veronica owning pops and then turning the basement into a maybe dry speakeasy. Yes. Slash gambling ring. Well, and the maple, which I actually don't hate that storyline. And story the line, maple club. The maple club. Yeah. At one point in season four, like you couldn't be on the show unless you had one to two businesses to run and right. you were a senior in high school. Right. Right. Like we don't need the teenagers. And we talk about this all the time. For some reason, teen dramas recently have loved well, in the past like 10 years, have loved to do this plot where to heighten the drama, they give the teenagers their own companies to run, which makes freaking elite. No fucking sense. Yeah. Right. Like it's so far from being realistic that it's like the teenagers then are not in teen situations, but there's plenty of teen drama to be had 
with teenagers doing teen things. Right. Well, like, I- let's get a pregnancy scare in here. Let's get um getting kicked out of the drama club. Like, I don't know. Studying for the SATs. God forbid we study for a second. Or yeah. And there was no, almost no football drama in season four. And there could have been. Right. You know, given, make the Vixens try to make it to the cheerleading competition. I mean, like, there just right. are One, things yeah. without... Veronica having to run a fucking speakeasy and a rum business. Well, and like sending her dad to prison because oh he's his name's on, but then being mad and then he gets out of prison. So like, yeah, no, it, I agree with no, that being in the number one. No, all of the teens businesses are B plots and none of them need to be. Yeah, completely agree. That's my grand list of <laughs> shitty people in this show. So Let's go just the quick stats. Mm-hmm. So why don't you go first? What are your what are your highlights? Okay, cool. Favorite character Betty Cooper. Obviously, she puts the whole show on her back with her acting skills and finesse. It it used to be Alice, right? Honestly, because I loved how evil she was, so biting. But they really let her plot crumb line her plot line crumble when she got involved with the farm. Right. Well, they just, it's like they didn't have enough time to like build them back up. Right. I completely agree. Favorite relationship, Betty and Jughead. I know, typical, isn't this everyone's? But it's really solid in a way that we don't get, I think, in a lot of teen shows. I know Mm -hmm. they break up like once or twice, but they actually have a functioning relationship where they work together to solve crimes, et cetera, right. which we don't always get with teen relationships where they're actually having to work t- together and use teamwork in a long form way that Betty and Jug could do. Plus it always seems like they're kind of on the same page. They both do a good job of listening to each other. And it just is, it's really nice to see. And of course they date in real, or did date in real life. We'll talk about that in the news. Um, I don't think they'll ever really break up, but whenever allegedly they're not dating right now, which I'm sure helps, of course, easier to act like you love the Person counterpart if yeah. you actually fucking love them. I'm imagining wouldn't know, but um, yeah. So they're my favorite relationship. Favorite season, season one, so good. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And then my favorite episode, I picked three one of them was season two, episode 18, where they do carry the musical. I think it was their strongest musical episode. Okay. I normally hate musical episodes. Please see Grey's Anatomy. Despise them. I know. Normally they're terrible. Despise them. You know, I but love a good musical episode. They, what I think helped about this one is they didn't just sing the whole time. Like there was dialogue. Right. Right. And they did I, a good job with Heathers too. So I haven't seen Carrie or Heathers. Okay. Which well. probably doesn't help. Um, but I still really appreciated the Carrie episode because I think they did a good job with the costuming. Everything seemed to fit pretty well. The songs that they chose and the way they got the characters to interact with each other, it did actually help like put the plot. push the plot, plot forward. Exactly. Normally it just seems like a novelty one-off, but in, in other shows at least, but in this Carrie episode, it really did actually help in that like wow moment at the end when Midge was strung up in a backdrop. Right. Was very like, you know, a wow, big wow moment. And then season three, episode five 
is when they break Archie out of juvie. Mm-hmm. I didn't write it down, but I also remember liking the episode where they broke Cheryl out of the Sisters of Quiet Mercy. I really like these episodes in Riverdale because it gets everyone involved. Everyone is working with the same thing. There's really not very many B plots. They're focused, right? which really helps them because most of the episodes are very unfocused, I think. Is a big problem with the show, which is why I like to binge watch it. Maddie watches it. I watch it, it week to week. Week to week, yeah. right. And I can't do that. I can't follow their 45 plots, and I really prefer to binge it. So um, these the breaking out episodes, they, I think, do really well, and it's nice to see everyone working together. And then finally would be same season as season three, episode 22, Survive the Night, where it's the finale? Yeah, I'm going to go into a lot. Um, of- yeah, Maddie's going to talk a lot, a lot about that, but I love the drama of it. Plus, I love right. any time you have to run through a forest in formal wear. So, right, right, which they do. Which they do. And so that that would be um, the last of my... Highlights? Yeah, highlights, um, et cetera. What about you? So it's funny, because mine are pretty similar to yours. Um, of course, Betty is my favorite character, mm, yeah. but it's... It made me laugh because the other day I was looking at our tagged pictures on Instagram and there's a photo of us from three years ago or four years ago now. The caption was like, which one of like still, the caption was something to the extent of like still um, arguing about which one of us is Veronica, but it's probably (laughs) Sophie. Because when the show started, I liked, we both liked Veronica more than Betty, like at the very beginning. And it's just so hard to even switch my brain back to thinking that Betty would be anything other than my favorite character. Right. So Betty's my favorite character. My favorite relationship is obviously Betty and Jughead. I will say my only critique is not to them as actors or to the way they sell this story because they do such a great job with the vulnerability and the intimacy that they're able to convey, but they just have dated for too long. Um, yeah. In my opinion. Like, for in them, the sh- like the characters. The have characters dated. have yeah. dated for too long because they'll have them have like a mini fight and then when she kissed we're I think we're still supposed to kind of believe the love triangle which is what the Archie comics are all about which is Betty Veronica and Jughead or Betty Veronica and Archie Mm -hmm. but they've committed so hard to Bughead that they can't that I don't understand how they're going to make the audience want Betty with Archie I don't. Right, because we <laughs> because they just have stayed together. No teen show keeps the main characters together this For long. That if you long. think if you think back to some right. of the Well, and like they've done a really poor job of making us believe that Archie is smart. Right, he was yeah. And I Betty, agree. what we love about Betty is that she is so smart. So it's just hard to imagine that smart, analytical, like type A really emotionally sensitive Betty would be happy with Archie who basically is just like like abs with eyes and, you know, is miraculously running a gym, but not very well, honestly. He didn't even know what a 501C was when his mom mentioned it. Right. Well, he's also a teen. Um, Well, yeah, he's a teen, but... Well, I wouldn't be surprised. So what I'm predicting will happen and who knows if I'm right or not, but they're going to do that time jump. And I have a feeling it's going to be similar like to how... To after college? What yeah, so they're, they're going to skip college. Okay. Um, which I'll go, I'll read Which will uh, be cool, Roberto's, then they'll be playing their own age. Almost. Right, I'll read Roberto's Closer, statement. But I think they'll probably have it come back with 
some of the couples switched around, which is what One Tree Hill did, right? Like they yeah. ended season four with Lucas and Peyton being together and started season five and he was like proposing There's to someone else. Reggie yet. So there, I think, is a chance that they're going to kind yeah. of mix these people back up. Favorite noted, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're good. Do, does need to be said, just a reminder for everyone, sees, they recast Reggie. Right, because <laughs> it was originally Ross Butler yeah, who was on 13 Reasons Why. one, yeah. And then he got put on 13 Reasons and so they got... In my opinion, taller, hotter Reggie. <laughs> Charles Melton. Yeah, he's a he's a babe. <sighs> Charles Melton. He has a really great video. I think Vogue maybe mm -hmm. came in and had him like show off his wardrobe and he's just <sighs> so good. Wow. What men, you can care about clothes. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite season Sorry, is one. I think just because it's thirteen episodes, can dice can dice. What what word am I trying to say? Condensed? condensed? Yeah, it's a condensed yeah. season. Great. No, really no notes on season yeah. one. Favorite no, episode great. is season three, episode 22, Survive the Night, though. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't a huge fan of the G&G storyline. It, like, was weirdly a little dark. Like, I couldn't figure it out, and I couldn't yeah. – I didn't love that. But the payoff – was so great to see yeah. Penelope was the one playing the strings uh, yes. with Chick being the Black Hood or with uh, Hal working as the Black Hood and getting him involved, Chick involved as the Gargan G and G. Gargoyle uh, King? Gargoyle King. Yeah. Was so I was good. not seeing him being roped back No, in. I was, I that we episode, I watched it again last night after already knowing all of the stuff yeah. and was shocked. Yeah. And just having that being said that they had to literally survive the night, Penelope was like, I'm going to kill you. Well, and the twist that he was Jason? Well, that he was, yeah, that she had, like, like dyed his hair red and, like, was, referred Penelope to him as... Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, like, also, it's just so smart. They have to each do, like, a competition. Archie has to fight a yes. bear, which, like, of oh, course he does, God. which he literally says, not again, <laughs> which is why I love and hate this show. Yeah. Veronica has to do that spin the bottle, which was a nice callback to season one when she has to go in the yes, closet with yes, Archie. Yes, yes. Um, Jughead had to fight it chicks. It was, like, a full circle for them. Right, and then Betty had to shoot her dad, <laughs> which that scene... Again, solidifies Lily as just such a wonderful right. actress. She, and then it's just so shocking her shooting him in the leg. Penelope saying he can't even be a serial killer, right? And shooting him <laughs> in the head. It's great. It also, With no, there was no break. Right. Like, ugh, you're a terrible bang. Boom. Yeah, and like Betty just has to, <laughs> and then she's like, kill the kids. And then yeah. they're just like running through. So here are just some yeah. honorable mentions, things that happened in this episode. Great costumes. The music's yes. amazing. Mm -hmm. We find out that Alice has been working with the FBI, so she wasn't a terrible mom. And it was another breakout episode because For, they were breaking the Cheryl and Tony escaped from the farm. The farm, uh-huh. The reintroduction of Jason, which is just so funny. Cheryl and Tony's gang coming to save the day. Yes. The introduction of the real Charles. Mm -hmm. Archie and Veronica getting back together. Right. Yes, that was nice. Just the most appropriate time for them to get back together. It's like in right. the middle of like running from people. Yep. Um, for their lives. And then they flash forward to Jughead being dead. Right at the end. Which goes into my single best scene. My single best scene is um, season four, episode sixteen, where Betty and Jughead explain how they got away with Jughead being dead. Yes. That so was a good one. I watched their interview from Comic Con where they were talking about the flash forward and Lily said some offhanded comment to the interviewer, which was like, yeah, we were all standing out there in our underwear and Cole was cold. So he didn't do it. And so I was like knowing Cole Sprouse, tracks. we totally buy. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I knew they weren't going to kill Cole Sprouse off. Yeah. No I way. also knew that he was literally just cold. So like the, what they're not going to kill him off. Cause that, right. so we went into it knowing he wasn't dead, but they 
sold the shit out of us believing that he yeah. was dead. Funeral, wake, FP reacting, search party. like The body in the, the morgue. morgue. Yeah, they went so hard at it. So when you finally realize Jackhead's alive, that's fine. But the scene where they go to tell those asshole prepsters, mm-hmm. not only that Jughead's alive, how they got away with it, and then why they had to do it, like connecting yeah. all of the dots from... Mr. Chipping throwing himself out the window and all of those things. And like Jughead's dad, a grandfather running mm-hmm. away and the Baxter brothers there, that scene, which I guess I'm kind of cheating since it was a long scene was phenomenal. It was also just peak Betty and Jughead. They yeah. were so giddy explaining this murder. <laughs> um, it was light. It was fun. It was just so bughead. Yeah, it was so great. And I, I loved the entire prep, Right, it was Plot. frustrating, but I like it was really nice. It was frustrating really in a way it. that, like, preppy assholes are just frustrating. Right, right, like it wasn't frustrating and like the plot dry out too long. Like Brett was just terrible because he was written terribly. Right, I could have, I honestly could have used with like a few more characters right. in the preppy group. Like having it be so intimate was a little weird to me. Right, we didn't um, just know anybody else. Yeah, and well, and I know I understand for like the sake of the plot, like. All we've been saying this entire episode is how there needed to be less plot, but it just like you can have the whole football team and really only Reggie gets any lines. You know what I mean? It was right. Like, that's a little bit what I wish they would have done, just so to like there was more kids at this school that Jughead was interacting with. Right. Well, I, I think it was supposed to be like I a capstone, right? Like it was just supposed yeah. to be like this elite class of writers. Yeah, I just could have used some yeah. broader context yeah. for that school. Anyway, that just know. that scene to me was just so peak them yeah and i loved it and also just the explanation of everything um really tied a bow and like it was the cleanest i think wrap up they have had mm-hmm. of a mystery yeah, yeah so that, that is nice. my single best scene what was your single best scene from Riverdale? my single best scene the exact opposite in length <laughs> of yours <laughs> so like blink and you miss it um practically but Mine is from season two, episode 12, chapter 25, the wicked, the wicked and the divine. It's when it's the season two mid season finale and it's the episode of Veronica's confirmation. Mm-hmm. Yep. That happened. <laughs> Cause she was back to like doing shit. Her dad wanted Cause her to she do. was back to doing being daddy's girl and so there's, you know, the ceremony or whatever held in her honor. So, and the party afterwards. So they're all in a little bit nicer clothes. And at the end, well, and Jughead and Betty were broken up at the right. time. They had broken up because of the gang stuff that had started working together again on figuring out what's going on with the Black Hood and et cetera, et cetera. So we were kind of, of course, all just waiting for them to get back together and they go to this thing and it's whatever and they do some various sleuthing throughout the episode but you get to the end and they're both back in the Joneses trailer and they're sitting on the couch sort of awkwardly a little bit like two or three feet apart Mm -hmm. and Betty's in her like little pink dress and (laughs) you know they're like talking about oh wow like you know whatever, I mean, I just watched this and I still can't remember what they were actually talking about, but like right. about the, not about Veronica stuff, they didn't care about that, but about whatever, they just like figured out like, oh yeah, like, okay. We're well, a good team. Right, yeah, like, I'm so glad we like wrapped whatever, like we figured out like X, Y, and Z, 
you know, um, that was such a good idea, blah, blah. They're just like patting each other on the back basically for whatever they'd figured out in that episode. And then it gets kind of quiet. You know, yeah, they were like, yeah, we're, you know, it's, Betty says something like, oh, we, like, you know, it's nice to hear that again. Because he's like, we figured it out, whatever. Right. So she's like, yeah, blah, blah, do a little blushing, whatever. And then both kind of quiet. And she was like, okay, well, I guess I should go. Uh Uh-huh. And Jughead says, or you could stay. And then before, I'm pretty sure before even her saying anything back, he corrects himself and says... I want you to stay. And so, of course, she is down for that. Right, right. <laughs> and they, like, start making out and stuff, and woohoo, they're back together. But what I thought was really nice about it was after such a chaotic, like, high-drama, loud couple episodes, but definitely that episode was had a lot going on, it was really nice to have just this really quiet moment of Cole and Lily mm-hmm. acting and it was a really simple scene, but it was really nicely acted by both of them. You really believed like her emotional range, and that was really shown from like excitement about the mystery, and then you can t- feel how nervous both of them were to just be alone. Like how it was a little awkward, but there was like all this tension, and and I just think they both did a really nice job. And I thought the writing again was. Better than right. often for Archie and Veronica, for sure. They don't give Archie and Veronica the same level of, like, vulnerability no. in those moments. And I don't know. I mean, I don't know why, but it does pay off really big for, yes, for the for Cole scene. Yeah, for sure. Well, because even – and even just him just straight up saying, I want you to stay – like, out of context, like, I mean, it's been a while since I was a teenager. <laughs> but right. I don't know. You were a teenager more recently, Jake. What? You were a teenager more recently. Yeah, I guess. So would it have been more normal to, like, if there's a girl over <clears throat> and she was like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to go. And you're like, well, like, or you could stay. You would expect. Because that then puts it on her to decide whether she wants to stay or not, which, yes. like, obviously, it's always everyone's choice to decide right. whether they want to stay. But it, like, emotionally makes it, like... The ball's in your court. Right, yeah. right. Like, like I don't really care, like, if you stay or not, but, like, you could if you wanted to, whatever. Like, not committing emotionally. I think that's really what, what right. gets it about me. It's not that, like, whatever, but, he, you know, he, then Cole just says, like, I... Like he takes the ball back and is like, I actually, I'm just going to put myself out there and say, I actually want you to stay. Right. So that was my scene with the teens. Perfect. Love that scene. Okay. So you ready for some news? Yes. So the Riverdale creator apologizes to Vanessa Morgan. Oh yeah. So Vanessa Morgan recently, who plays Tony Tonkas, recently called out the CW show for sidelining black characters. She wrote on Twitter, tired of how black people are portrayed in media, tired of us being portrayed as thugs, dangerous or angry and scary, tired of us also being used as a sidekick and non-dimensional characters to our white leads or only used in ads for the diversity, but not actually in the show. So then Ashley Bromfield retweeted that who played Josie McCoy. Mm-hmm, right. Who got written that out of the show. And said, don't even get me started with how Riverdale treated the, pus- the pussycats. We had so much more to contribute than standing in the background and adding sass to a storyline. I stand with you at Vanessa Morgan. Mm-hmm. So then on June 4th, 
Electric Chani t- created a Twitter thread where she pointed out 13 other black characters, 14, including Tony, who lacked story times and screen time. So that's it, on pe- Riverdale? Yes. Yeah, so that's people like Tony, Josie, um, Mad Dog, your yep. personal favorite. Ugh, man, Mad Dog. Valerie Brown. Like, there's just so many on here yeah. who were literally used as whatever. So after this goes back, like even Pop Tate, who's... Oh, Pop. Doesn't get to do anything. And he no, owns, we don't know anything about mm-hmm. him. And he's in every episode. Right. And then even down to Jonathan in the last season, who is, has the least lines of any Stonewall student and interacting yeah. with Jughead and was literally killed off screen. Like, he, we didn't even see him die. So Roberto, I don't even know how to say his name, Aguari Sass, Sass, Roberto, who created the show, apologized. And he said, we hear Vanessa. We love Vanessa. She's right. We're sorry. And we make the same promises that we did to her. We will do better to honor her and the character she plays, as well as all other actors and characters of color. Change is happening and we will continue to happen. Riverdale will get bigger, not smaller. Riverdale would be part of the movement, not outside it. All of Riverdale writers have made a donation to Black Lives Matter. And we know where the work must happen for all of us in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. So I think that that, I think they, in they my, did a good apology yeah. and, and kind of addressed yeah. that they were wrong. And right, like up, like, and it was really short, like turnaround, right? Like they mm-hmm. really, they didn't yeah. sit on it for a couple of days. No, no, no. I think what I would like to see from Riverdale in season five would be, you can, I would love for the Fab Four to be consolidated into one plot line. Right. I don't think they each need their own. They just don't. They can all be one plot line. And then a more focused B and or also C plots with these other characters that have been supporting in the past. Because we do, it would be great to know more about Tony. And obviously I want Charles Melton to have more screen time. Right, right. As well as Mad Dog. Like, talk about two guys that got brought on that make Archie look normal incredible right. um and because they do have all these other characters that have some backstory but like charles's dad abuse right and mad well, dog's charles like Melton, mom grandma reggie. yeah yeah sorry, sorry. No, yeah, you're right um okay i'm um, reggie so i think i we both obviously agree that the plots should have less there should be less right. plots but i think that they could honestly consolidate and the top four the... into one. I, I think the show would be stronger. Yeah. So then more news. Um, Skeet Ulrich, who plays FP, mm. and Marisol Nichols have left the show. R.I.P. But then, just kidding, because as of three days ago, Marisol will be returning to season oh, five. Oh, will she? Which so is Veronica's mom. Veronica's mom, Hermione, will be back. So Skeet Ulrich, who plays FP, went live, which I just think these Instagram lives during quarantine have been hysterical (laughs) he which like what a wild time to be a celebrity journalist right like you have to watch these lives and whatever so in the live he announced that cole and lily broke up accidentally he also said he left riverdale because he got bored fair so that's his reasoning behind leaving so as we've said the show is renewed for season five and filming can start pretty soon um where they are in vancouver is loosening up restrictions and so they'll be able to get back um, they're thinking maybe around Canada, Canada Day, which is July 1st. And as I've mentioned earlier in the show, there will be a time jump between season four and five. Roberto said all of the characters would be going to different colleges. His instinct has been to leap over four years and kind of pick everyone up there, yeah. which is similar to what One Tree Hill did. Um, season five premiere will be the prom episode because they got shut down due to COVID. Right. And then my last little bit of news is there's rumors that Vanessa Morgan, Tony Topaz, could be leaving the show. The oh, creators sure. of Batwomen, 
that woman on the CW are looking for a replacement because Ruby Rose recently left mm-hmm. and think that Morgan would be allegedly think that um, Morgan would be great to fill in the role as Batwoman. So we'll see if that yeah. comes to be. I'm not sure if it will, um, yeah. but that is... Um, I'm not saying that superheroes need to be tall, but she's really petite. Yeah, I don't know what... I've never seen Batwoman, so I don't know yeah, I don't what know the, the show is either, but... Yeah, I so mean, obviously, she's great, so... That's our news for the week. Do you have a recommendation of the week? Yes. My recommendation of the week is a song. Ooh. Ooh. Um, it's Hell of a Year by Parker McCollum. Love, okay. And it's just really, like, a nice, slow, ballady country song that, you know, you can sing along to if you want to or just, like, have it in the background. And it does feel like it's been a hell of a year like, yeah, already. And it's, yeah, and we're it's, halfway through it. Uh, I'm not even halfway through now. Yeah. Right, what's, what's your recommendation? So my recommendation is also music, but it mm. is the Normal People playlist that Spotify has created. Oh, I it have has not listened. brought back, I mean, like, one, we'll talk about Normal People, yeah, obviously. obviously. Um, it's brought back memories from the show. It's brought back just memories from, like, my life because we are the same age as those characters. Right, yeah. Um, so that's been really fun to kind of revisit that stuff. So that is my recommendation of the week, which is the Normal People soundtrack, or playlist. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for listening. Thank you, and thanks to our producer, Jake. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Glad to be here. <laughs> this podcast is produced by myself, Sophie Orlich, with help from Jake Orlich. No relation. Maddie Line is my favorite co-host, and our lovely theme song is by Chandler Reeves. For news and updates, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at singlebestscene, or check out our website at singlebestscene.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, and especially if you're one of our actual friends, make sure you're subscribed to the pod and drop us a five-star review. We deserve it. Autoplay next episode.